So welcome everyone to another episode of Listen, Care, Fully. I'm your host, Jen, and we have a special guest on today named Diane Costco and, or sorry, Costo. And we are going to be talking about neurofeedback and how this impacts children and also how it impacts our brains and how we function in the world and how we um, move forward accordingly. So thank you so much for coming. Yes. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. I would love to hear a little bit about your story and how you've arrived on your path today and what brings you in this direction and how you impact others. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot, but um, yeah. So I, I got into the field of neurofeedback because I had, I have two boys the youngest one was really impulsive off the charts. And I tried to find different environments for him, thinking that if I put him in the right environment, he would have success and would would do well and, and kept failing at that, basically. And I would get a call, we, you know, you need to come and get him. And he got kicked out of private school, homeschool twice, boarding school, military academy from age five until he was turning into a teenager. And by the time he was... Uh, a young teen, he was big and strong and there was violence in the house and he was refusing to do anything that I asked him to do and just not functioning well. And I ended up sending him to a military academy thinking this would be the great environment for him, you know, because mm -hmm. I just, I kept feeling like every parenting book I picked up didn't work. Every system, you know, he just had this impulsivity that no matter what environment he was in, he reacted to that environment. And most of the time it didn't go over very well. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, when he went to the military academy, I said, you know, this, this is it. You've got to make this work for you, bud, or you're not welcome home. It was that extreme in our household. And he got kicked out of the military academy. Mm. And I did one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And I had him transported to a school for troubled teens they called it back then you know it was just a residential facility where they had a lot of professionals there to support him and I thought you know I tried to avoid this all of these years but here he is at least they're going to know how to help him mm. that's what happened a few months into that experience they had enough I got a call yeah mm. we really love him but he's not following the program what are we going to do now this was a professional in the field that's dealt with a lot of kiddos and knew that we were kind of out of options because he, you know, we couldn't send him to a wilderness program. That's another option, but he was too, he would have accidentally killed himself or, you know, run off and done something that didn't, that he wouldn't have survived. Uh, so I was really out of options. And at that point I was introduced to a doctor um, in South Carolina who had just started a neurofeedback practice and a company to help um, doctors provide neurofeedback. And he said, that's the kind of kid we can help. So I was like, bring it on, you know, what can I do? <laughs> I went through the training and I drove from South Carolina to, he was in the middle of nowhere, Utah, I call it. And I set up neurofeedback in that program and starting run, running sessions on my son. And it finally started to give him that pause before mm -hmm. reacting that he never had before. And it literally saved his life. And at that point, after going through all of those years of trial and error, trying to find the right place for him, I was just blown away. And I, I was a little bit mad that I didn't hear about it, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that launched me on the mission 
Mm -hmm. to make this more available to families, to help providers provide it, to do whatever we need to do to make sure that neurofeedback is one of the first options, not the last at the end of the rope. I love that so much because I feel like one, development is such a big time to move through and to navigate through. And obviously our parents don't always get us, right? So it's like in one sense, development alone is a lot to navigate. And then when you add in different impulses and different behaviors, and especially if it's a pattern, like if, if, if this has been repeated over and over, it's like to his nervous system, like his nervous system was just surviving, you know, I'm sure. Right. right. And it, came, it, it just came across differently. It came across as 110% boy with a bad attitude. So it wasn't acceptable. And, and maybe mm-hmm. we didn't have as much of that trauma-informed approach and people weren't seeing that there was something else going on, you know, and that there was a physical reason his brain was responding and his system was responding in that way. We didn't have the body keeps the score and all of that kind of information that we have now. Yeah. And even just what we know about the brain now, obviously there's so much we still don't know about it, but like if the brain repeats a pattern, it's not because it's healthy, sustainable, even functional. It's literally because you survived. Mm -hmm. And I think people forget that like you're repeating the pattern because it didn't kill you. It's not because it's a healthy choice. It's because you didn't die. The brain's like, cool. We we're still here. That must've worked for us. Right. That's a good way of phrasing it. You know, it's not always the best pattern. It's a pattern that the brain used and and it worked at that moment. And a lot of that doesn't work in our society, in our classrooms, in our current situation. No. And I think we are bumping up against a lot of edges, especially with our systems collapsing and transforming. And it's kind of like the butterfly, right? Like you, the caterpillar has to liquefy, has to turn into goo before something new emerges. And I think that we're in that like death rebirth cycle where we are watching everything kind of crumble and fall. And we don't know what's about to be born. We have, we haven't been there yet. We haven't seen it yet in this new way. And I think that there has to be the balance of like kind of past generations, but also like being just as open to what these newer generations are bringing as well. You know, if there can be room for all of the voices to be heard rather than just like, I'm the parent, I said so, and this is why, but also like having room for kids to have their voice too. And of course we know this, like they can't be supported or they can't be heard unless they're like well supported or they can't be fully met and understood. And I love what you shared of like, you just didn't know how to support him, you know? Right. I just kept approaching it from, there's got to be something different that I can do or better that I can do. And Mm -hmm. because of the way it came across as defiance or just outright danger, Mm -hmm. I was trying to protect him and keep our environment safe and keep things right in the home. And I didn't, I never would have approached it from the standpoint that there was a physical reason he was reacting that way. It didn't look that way. It didn't come across that way to any of the professionals that I had him in front of. And he was in front of dozens and dozens of professionals. (laughs) And no one really pinpointed as, hey, this might be like a trauma response. This might be a physical reason he's doing it. It's not always his choice. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I was able to look at the brainwave activity. Mm -hmm. And I could see then Mm -hmm. when I went to that program, there were all of these students there from different 
family type systems. Some were adopted, some were not. Some were single parent families like mine, some were not. Some looked like the perfect families, right? But here's all these kids that aren't functioning in our normal environments. What was the common factor? Brainwave dysregulation. They all had similar patterns of dysregulation in their brains, a physical reason they responded the way they did. That that was eye-opening. Yeah. Tell us about brainwaves and how each one is supposed to function and where it's even supposed to be in our heads. Like, because I think you're right. Like not a lot of people know this earth shattering, groundbreaking, simple, but yet so complex electricity that's happening in our brains. Yeah. And that's really what it is. It's communication in the brain. And we're Mm -hmm. able to measure that with tiny sensors that will pick up that electrical activity when the chemical reactions are happening. And so our brain is always producing a bunch of different frequencies of brainwave activity from very slow waves that we think of delta waves when we're sleeping, but we also produce delta when we're awake. And then they've named them in in the wrong order. They don't go in the order of the Greek letters and alphabet. They go in the order of when they found them. Um, but the, but there's slow wave activity, delta and theta. There's mid-range activity you hear of as alpha brain waves, and that's often associated with like meditation and things like that. And then there's the faster processing waves, beta with a B, B-E-T-A, and above that when we're processing, like as people are listening and trying to tune in and pay attention and absorb what we're saying, they should be producing more patterns of beta and in a certain side of the brain too. So there's there's different activities that we know are normal for for certain times but your brain should be able to shift back and forth between those depending on what you're doing the problem is when the brain gets stuck and it's producing too much of something in the wrong place at the wrong time Mm -hmm. it's not that one wave over a different wave is better or not you know we can't just all produce a whole bunch of zen alpha we're not going to (laughs) function because you can't do (laughs) life in that state (laughs) so um it's not always one is better than the other it's the right healthy balance and over the decades you know that we've studied the brain now we know what those typical healthy patterns of communication are and so when you have certain patterns you're more impulsive or certain patterns you tend to be depressed or you tend to have anxiety uh, and so we can see that and we can measure that brainwave activity and correlate that with what somebody's experiencing in their life and mm-hmm. actually show you then something measurable as to why you've probably struggled with those things you know mm-hmm. or why you're gifted in those certain areas you know we can look at that now and i think that should be number 1 when somebody's having a challenge and maybe when somebody's not even having a challenge. Imagine if we just knew what our family um, patterns were like in our brains, how we would respond and interact with each other differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. Cause I um, I'm home right now. And so I'm, I was spending a lot of time with my family yesterday and it's so fascinating to hear about how like, you know, it's things that you've always known, but to hear it come from them or to, for, to hear them say, you know, I experienced that as a kid too. And then I'm like, you did? Why didn't I ever know that? You right. Know? Like, mm-hmm. like for me, my coping strategy was always overeating and processed food has always been my addiction slash coping mechanism for stress overwhelm in my system. And then my mom said that she did that as a kid too. Why did I not know that? You know, and not that that changes anything, but it gives me that compassion of like, 
oh my gosh, it did not start with me. Kind of like when you mentioned oh, the yes. or it's like, wow, this is bigger than just me. This is like a template or like a pattern that's like laying over the foundation. It doesn't have to be what we subscribe to, but it does start with that awareness of like, oh, right. Nothing is wrong with me. I'm just the one that double clicked into the pattern, into the template, into the, you know, and I, I feel like that's such good news, especially like when you're saying like, when we know what's supposed to be happening versus what is happening, it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. It's just like, that's the good news. Like we found out what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Phrasing it that way is perfect. That it is the good news. We all have some dysregulation in our brains. Our brains don't function perfectly. They're not a, a perfectly programmed computer with no glitches. That's not the way it is. And we're constantly changing and evolving. So yes, we do have some genetic tendencies, tendencies or patterns that our DNA learned but as we know with epigenetics and everything else happening on our world, we can change that. So it doesn't even matter. We're not stuck just because our parents had cancer, the cancer gene um, or any, you know, behavioral pattern gene. We're not really stuck anymore if we use these kind of technologies like neurofeedback and other, you know, the other health um, biohacking type, techno- you know, approaches to change these patterns because we are a constantly evolving, changing organism. We're shedding, growing uh, constantly on a regular basis. And if you keep that in mind, it's so exciting and so hopeful for what we can do. Yeah. And it reminds me too of like, you can't really get too attached or too stuck into any one moment or any one time or any one thing, even though that's such a contrast to like what I help kids and parents with of like learning how to lean into feelings, right? It's like the feeling is real, but at the same time, it's not your absolute truth. It's not who you truly are. It's real because you're in it, you know? So it's like, it's real because you're in it. It's not that it's not real life. It's just that, wow, that's a really powerful thought or wow, that's a really powerful feeling. And the trick is you do have to take it seriously to let it move through you. You do have to lean, I call it lean in. You do have to lean into it, right? To let it move through you. But at the same time, like from a very logical, rational, cognitive place, it's so easy to talk yourself out of that and be like, that's not real, you know? But you almost have to like surrender to it to be like, okay, I'm going to get into the zone of it, you know, the same way you would meditate or the same way you would slow down enough to go inward. You know, it just, it just takes cultivating that time and space to be able to usher it through. You Got know? it. Right. That's a, that's a good approach too. you know, paying attention to it and letting it kind of move through and and mm-hmm. then float by as well though, because you don't have to stay there either. It may be real and it is real when you feel that, but that doesn't mean that it has to stay and it has to be a part of you. You can change your perspective on things too, Mm -hmm. you know, and and change physically how you respond to things over time. It's true. One of my favorite meditative practices is sky gazing. And when there are clouds, it makes me think of like the clouds are the thoughts. They're just passing by and we're never... We're never like, oh my gosh, I don't like that one. Hurry, hurry, go on, go on. You know, like we're never 
judging it. And it's actually never a thought because we don't look at it that way. It's it's never actually been a thought of like, oh, I don't like that cloud. Why is it doing that? Because it's like, we know it's going to change and transform before our eyes, you know? Right, right. And the interesting thing is if you had the whole family or a whole classroom sitting there watching those clouds, how many different interpretations would they see? Mm, and nobody's wrong right wow yeah I might see an elephant or I might see something that looks like a fish and 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 that's real to me at that moment and it might cause a a feeling for me at this and somebody right beside me might see something different and, and have a different feeling because of it and so it's very interesting that it can be so different for every individual even though it's we're looking at the same thing right Definitely. And that's one of the biggest blessings. Like I said, when I'm, I was home this weekend for being with family, that's one of the biggest blessings of being with my two brothers is because like, we can remember similar things. And yet it was so different for all of us. (laughs) We were like in different worlds, but we were in the same place. Yeah. I have the same situation with my two brothers and we were very close in age, like a year and a half. And then two years later and our whole childhood and upbringing and lives are opposites they're all different like everybody has a different interpretation on on how it was <laughs> so that I've definitely learned that we can be in the same moment and have a totally different experience I love that so much I want to hear more about your experience with your son and just how the symptoms and behaviors changed and also yeah what were like the biggest things that you noticed and also like part of the process if there were any like pieces of the process that you just knew you were like metaphorically literally going through the waves of change you know because sometimes we see what works we know how to apply it but sometimes we're not always aware of the process or the in-betweens if that makes sense yeah and I was just so action-oriented that I was always looking for the next solution and the next thing that was going to work. And I was always looking ahead of that and not in the moment that much, you know, until recently that I'm starting to learn that approach. But I would say um, it was not a quick fix or a magic pill. You know, we really, it took time for his brain to learn new patterns going through a series of the neurofeedback sessions. So it didn't look like a change, you know, it didn't look like we gave him a medication and suddenly he was different and handling his environment different. And it really took years. You know, once we were able to better regulate his brains with the neurofeedback and he could take a moment and think about what he was doing, he Mm -hmm. still, he was a teenager, he was 13. And we had all of this um, trauma from sending him out of the home and back into the home and, you know, animosity and everything that he had to deal with and I had to deal with. So we still kind of like had PTSD for quite a few years. And then he tested the, the waters and tested the grounds and everything at home. And we bucked heads and we still had some rough teenage years while he was figuring it out. But I always say the biggest difference that I noticed in that process was that now I knew that his decisions were his own. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just him responding to his environment. So now he was doing things because he was deciding to do it. And as scary as it was, I had to let it happen. I had to let him go and do his thing and stop trying to control his environment. 
And um, and it, it worked. Thankfully, he's still with us. He's one of the most disciplined people I know, but it was a scary process uh, and, and it wasn't easy. Uh, but I just had to maintain that confidence that I know he's making his decisions now. And I do think that because he was sent to different programs and different environments and therapy and all these different things that he was then, once we better regulate his brain, he was then able to apply those things that he learned along the way. Yeah, so the tools weren't lost on him. He just couldn't use them until we were able to better regulate his brain and he was functioning better. I love that. It's like in his own way, he had to become available for what was, you know, there and accessible. Absolutely. And of course, his perspective on all of it is a lot different than mine. I mean, fortunately, they, him and his brother just... I, and I have to say, I did ask their permission, but I just wrote a book about it. And it's very, it's meant to be a tool for parents and families that are struggling, that are looking for different options and to give them some hope and, and information that we need to look at the brain, we need to look at how people are physically functioning when there's behavioral issues, mental health issues, um, anything, peak performance challenges. We need to look at that first. Yeah. So. Yeah. How do you want to see also like the school systems change? I just think such earlier on, we need to be looking at the brainwave frequencies and the patterns and the communications. How yeah. much easier would it be if we had a neuro room in the, in the schools for them to go in and, and help to better regulate their brains? I mean, we're using all kinds of technologies everywhere else that can disrupt the brainwaves and the communication in there. Why wouldn't we just have that as a normal part of our existence where we're kind of rebooting, re-regulating? right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. how much easier would the teacher's jobs be if the kids could pause before reacting or they could stop and apply something that they learned before mm -hmm. moving to the next thing? I mean, imagine that. So I, I think it'd be very easy to do. We have computer labs. We have um, the money is there too. You know, people all, always come back to the cash flow and we're spending a lot of money on giving kids extra time to take tests and all of these additional um accommodations that we definitely could channel some of that money to help better regulate the brains on a, on a level like that. I love that so much. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say too, is like that integration piece, like the integration is not optional. You know, when we all come into this classroom or when at, where, wherever you are, it's like everybody's still integrating their life into the present moment, you know, and some kids take longer or have more going on outside or more to process. It's not always easy to just leave it at the door, you know? Right. Right. Like I know the kids that I work with, if I'm ever in contact with their counselors or their teachers, you know, it's like to have, even just to have that dialogue they're they're kind of like, Oh, I didn't realize there was more going on. And that's what I usually try to tell parents and teachers is like, there may be more going on just beyond the academic stuff. And also if we don't have that integration or if we don't have that space, like that's so genius. What if that was just part of the day? Like, yep, we're going to do our brainwaves right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Part of the day in the classroom, part of the day at home too. Imagine coming home after work and kind of re resetting a little bit before you start fighting with your family, <laughs> you know, <laughs> can you picture that if we all did that? And like I said, part of that piece is really just having the understanding of how we each operate in, in our different processing areas that are functioning well and then are and being able to approach 
something differently with someone, knowing that they're not intentionally trying to aggravate you, right? They just have a, a disconnect in that area. Yeah. And I think the younger we are, the easier it is to create change. Not that we can't create change when we're older, but you know, it's a lot easier to change what's already like a sponge or more malleable. You know, it's kind of like how they say when you learn a new language or anything, but I've even heard too with our neurons and our brains that, you know, how they would say it's like up until 25 that our brains are developed. I've even heard them say they're the window's gotten even longer now, like it's up until thirties, you know? Well, that may be true from what I'm seeing. And, and, mm-hmm. and the question is, does our brain really ever fully develop? Because we can continue to learn. And as we're learning things, new neural pathways are created in the brain. New mm-hmm. physical changes are created in the brain. When we learn a, a new dance, when we learn a new instrument, when we learn new language, uh, when we are constantly checking phones, right? We're creating new physical patterns in the brain on a regular basis. And I have never seen anyone say that that stops while we're alive. So who knows? I think we're constantly building and changing and and evolving. And yeah, there's good ways to do that. And there are ways that get us off track when we repeat certain things. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. It's fascinating. Yeah. And I love that you said that your son has developed like a healthy habit of self-discipline, maybe maybe it's more productive now, now that he knows how to make it make it go in the direction of his choice, you know? It's pretty amazing. He's actually he set his sights on um special forces. So mm-hmm. he went he went from a kiddo that would get kicked out, would probably be in jail or accidentally not with us. He would have killed himself. He's one of that population. And I think we do have a lot of that population that just has those impulsivities that can't stop and think about what they're doing. Um, He went from that kind of person to one of the most disciplined people I know in special forces. He's a Green Beret, you know, helping thousands of people and literally physically Mm -hmm. and mentally disciplined beyond belief. No one would have ever guessed that when he was little and getting there, kicking him out and calling me to come and get him. No one would have ever guessed. <laughs> so think about our justice system too, the educational system. Yes. You know, that is very important, but our justice system and how much help could be done there and the people that are being lost, like my son, it's just mm-hmm. immense what we could do with this kind of technology. That's amazing. It's making me think of breath work too. Like how, when we breathe, more life into our nervous systems when we create that oxygen it's so simple right it's literally what we do unconsciously every moment of every day we're always breathing and if we could um bring breath to the justice system too you know like i just imagine how like maybe it would be in combination with neurofeedback right like how we could connect into our hearts more than just like these scared places are like you said we've missed people along the way Mm -hmm. and how like how can we give people more opportunity to like be more connected to themselves you know right that's so important and we we actually do at my company we incorporate the heart rate variability uh, Mm. breathing because i'm kind of using technology to help people get there i know there's you can learn and you can go to mindfulness practices and everything and Mm. 
for some people, it's just so hard without an extra tool. I get it. So we are all about those tools. What kind of technologies can we use to help people arrive there sooner to help those people that need something concrete to see, you know? And so there's uh, heart math makes the M wave heart rate variability. And we're seeing things like that on our apps, on our phones to help us with that breath work and uh, use that technology to kind of edge us along a little quicker than we could on our own. Um, And so that is, we build that in. Because when you start to breathe and you start to regulate your nervous system, your brain is even more receptive to the neural feedback process and what it can learn. And it's, it's key. Yeah. So key. And it's like these simple tool, tools that we already have within us. Right. So it's like when you're, for those that don't know about neurofeedback, right. Like when you're in a session, it's nothing that you have to effort. It's nothing that your brain has to like think about doing. It's almost like autocorrect, right? Like it's almost like you already are your own intelligent being. It's just that you're rewiring behind the scenes. It's just that it's just that it takes that, you know, that like I, as you're saying that technology to sort of keep you in your lane when you're drifting, it's like, Oh, come on back. Yeah. I'm back. It's like you're retraining what you already know as you're pushing the boundaries and going everywhere, you know, this is like how kids are anyways too, you know, it's like a bigger metaphor within the bigger metaphor, you know? Right. Yeah. Just giving that little bit of extra feedback to Mm -hmm. enhance a natural process of learning. Yes. And like, I just love too how it, seems and feels you know so simple and it's because it is but I'll share a little bit about my neurofeedback experience yes, I did it for six months and I will say you know overcoming PTSD and I will say it was so fascinating like I blocked off my Tuesdays and Thursdays because I would go twice a week and I would be exhausted after a one-hour session wow I would go to sleep after and I would still sleep the full night through nice and so I think my brain just really needed it you know and honestly I probably could still benefit you know like I feel like everybody would always benefit forever you know right that's great so it helped with your sleep cycle as well which is one of the first things we see I noticed that with my son too and I never would have imagined I didn't you don't think about kids as having sleep disruptions, but there's a lot of our kids that have sleep disruptions. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the first couple of weeks, the darker circles under his eyes, just kind of lightening up that I just thought were natural part of how he looked. And suddenly they started lightening up and he was resting better at night. And then we get reports of that from a lot of people. How important is sleep? It's key to everything. Anything that you learn during the day integrates and processes while you sleep, right? All of your emotions process while you sleep. Physically, your brain is kind of cleaning itself out and your body is healing when you sleep at night. And if you're not getting that, you're not really functioning at your optimal level, you know? And to move PTSD through, that's significant in six months. Congratulations. I'm glad you found neurofeedback how did you find it my friend madeline she also went through it and she's also doing her phd now in king's college in london and so i had like a direct referral from her because i really trusted her and her experience because i know that with neurofeedback you really want to be able to trust 
whoever's working on your brain, you know? Right. It's delicate. It's delicate. We have neurons in there. We have what, 80 billion neurons in there that can reach the moon and back or around the world four times, right? Like, like we have a lot of potential up there. It's, right. It's, it's delicate yet everything, you know? Right. And there's a lot of different styles of neurofeedback out there. Okay. So there are types like what I use that's just technology-driven learning so mm-hmm. that you don't have to be a neurosurgeon to to use this technology because it's only going to teach your brain and coach your brain towards healthy patterns, never mm-hmm. against that. So it's really safe entry level. That's the kind I envision being in our homes and in our schools. Then there's other levels where they're actually using a little bit of a low level current to stimulate Mm -hmm. the brain and kind of reset that electrical pattern in there. And those are going to take a higher level of training and, um, you know, a higher level of clinician that's there with you really observing moment to moment. And then Mm -hmm. there's some that are, are using some technologies that are even that push the brain even more than that. And you literally, a clinician has to be watching to see if you're developing a, a little tiny bead of sweat on your forehead or if you're getting um, too sleepy or what, you know, one thing or another, and they have to adjust it accordingly. So there's all the way from a learning modality to a, a really high level clinical level and, and everything in between as far as neurofeedback approaches. So yeah, interview somebody that you're talking to, make sure you're comfortable with what style of neurofeedback, because they are not all the same. There's apples, oranges, pears, bananas, you know, <laughs> it's every different type out there. It's not all, all equal. Yes. And I remember when I interviewed the therapist, like she was making sure to remind me like, we're not training the giftedness, the talented and giftedness out of you, you know, right. because I feel like that's something quirky about me that I really appreciate. And I want that to still be part of my neurodiversity, you know. And did that stay with you or even become more enhanced? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's and a just- huge question. A lot of people have concerns about that. Yes. So good to it's hear. Like stepping into who you truly are like carrying forward your natural gifts as well, you know, having that ownership of like, this is who I am. These are my preferences, you know, and just getting to be who you truly are and letting that shine and owning who you are and not having to like fit in to belong, but to like bring your full self, you know, and, and it, yeah, it comes back to that confidence of like, yes, I know myself, you know, and really having that agency and accountability and getting to use your gifts to your maximum potential, you know? That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that um, because that's a big fearful mm-hmm. place for a lot of people, you know, that am I going to lose that thing that makes me who I am? And and really this process doesn't do that. It helps you become more of who you are and it's rid mm-hmm. of some of the interference that's in your way. Definitely. Yeah. So you're practicing neurofeedback. Is this your like daily practice as well? So I've gone from back in that year back, this has been 13 years since okay. I first went to that program and set it up in the therapeutic program for my son. And then I opened up multiple offices to serve families, uh, mostly on the East Coast. That one was in uh, Utah. So I did that for years in multiple small locations. And then I 
was also the trainer for that company. I became the one that helped the doctors learn how to to provide neurofeedback. So I learned every aspect of the business really. And then in 2018, I think the end of 2018, I launched Symmetry Neuropathway Training to do that specifically, to help providers provide, to support those providers that are out there that need to learn more about cases off of us. So I've got a team of people that does that. Um, but we have the software, the hardware, the equipment, the training, the support, and we have mobile systems. So we can send it to families across the globe that want to do neurofeedback at home or don't have a provider nearby. And I have a whole team of people that kind of um, will coach you and zoom in on a regular basis and is behind the scenes watching the sessions to make sure everything is fine for you. So I've I've kind of evolved up into the higher, you know, the, like the C-level managing the company and all of my amazing team <laughs> that's supporting people out there. Yeah. I love that you took the vision and ran with it, you know? It was needed. I was so mm-hmm. shocked and I continued to be shocked. Even when I had the small offices and we're, we're trying to attract people and bring people in, I was still trying to talk to the professionals and, and figure out why it wasn't mainstream. Why isn't everybody doing this? Why, why isn't that the first recommendation when you go to a pediatrician because your kid's struggling in school? You know, mm-hmm. And so I was, yeah, I just got lit up on that m- mission and that path of saying, whatever I need to do to get this out there, I'm doing it. Anytime I get an objection from a, a provider or a professional or a school or something, I'm trying to find out a, a way around it to make sure we get this out there to everyone. And yeah. I appreciate you having me on here to share the information because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take probably coming from the families and the individuals demanding it for it to become mainstream. It's not coming from big pharma down. <laughs> so. As things are, right? It's like, we need to see it. Um, we, need to, we need to see it from the people. We need to hear real people's stories, you know? And gosh, like, I'm so passionate just from like a health perspective, right? It's like, we usually say what our greatest struggles are, are our greatest gifts, you know? And so- like for me, food has always been what I've used in maladaptive ways, right? And so, or it was adaptive and now it's like maladaptive, but that's also been the portal, the healing, the tool that's gotten me through, you know, like right. optimizing my nutrition in a healthy way and really being aware of like what I am putting into my body because like, I I do believe it on a deeper level of like, what we consume matters and not just food, but every aspect of our world, it counts, it's intentional. And if we can have some sort of even awareness, if not effort and, you know, of like why we do the things we do, I feel like it could really help us, you know, but there are of course certain things like you have to come into that conclusion on your own, in your own timing as well. But I know for me, it's like, that is how I saw it evolve was like, wow, this thing that was hurting me turned into the thing that is helping me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that happens with a lot of us. We have to go through something in order to help ourselves, but also help others. You know, I certainly never would have picked this field or imagined that I would be in the neurofeedback realm. Um, And here I am. (laughs) So it's my life for sure. Because I just feel it was wrong that we didn't have access to it. And I'm sure you feel that way about what you've learned to heal yourself and, and the the yeah. need to share it with other people. 
It's so true. And, and also like to just be available for those who are, who are ready. And I know like what you said, sometimes it does look that way where it's like, there is this urgency because that's the level of like, oh my gosh, we've tried everything, you know, like sometimes that's how people feel coming in. And then you have to remind them, oh, right. Like when we do sort of have this allowance of like, okay, all of you is welcome here. Yes. It might feel worse before it gets better, you know, and just being like, just hold on. Yes. We're going to go through the resistance, but we're going to, we're going to move forward, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. just having that reassurance and the trust and all of those pieces it it can be a lot raising a family and having children that are navigating their world for the first time and and I have such a developmental approach but like I believe that because kids are growing and changing so much and kind of like what you said like we're always shedding we're always changing we're always evolving my goal is never to change them because I know that developmentally that's already occurring. That's already happening. So it's like allowing them to lead and be, and be their own solutions, you know, mm-hmm. like that's going to be so much more eye-opening and powerful in the long run as well. Who am I to know or to say, right? It's like, I'm here to hold the space, to be the mirror, to show you how you're showing up in the world. Is this who you want to be? Right? Like, yeah. so yeah. And it's just, that's interesting point because every different stage of development affects a different area of our brain. Mm-hmm. So think about it. It's the same as when a baby is just learning to start to crawl or sit up or do all those baby milestones, right? We don't chart all the rest of the milestones, right? After that kid's a couple of years old, we don't really chart all of the things that mold us into who we are beyond that. But every experience like you're talking about is is part of their experience to become who they are. And it, it's going to change them and affect them. And it's part of their developmental journey. So it would be interesting to try to even begin to map out all the rest of the developmental milestones we all have to go through, right? I haven't heard of that beyond the little ones for toddlers and kids. Have you? Yes, there's a whole model. I it's love that. I love the Erickson's model, but also I love the Swiss cheese model because um, Dewey Freeman made the Swiss cheese model. And he said that, you know, if ever we get to like a state, a new stage, but we fall through the cracks, right. Or we fall through the holes of the Swiss cheese, we're going to like end up landing back on a time that like, that was like the moment that we experienced the trauma or experience, whatever. So it's like, it's sort of how, when you hear people say like healing is not linear, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you do have to regress a little and like, there's nothing wrong or bad about it. It's just, Oh, okay. You fell through the holes. All right. Rise back up to whatever. Cause you know, sometimes people are a certain age, but chronologically, but maybe developmentally, they're still in a different time period, you know, and I see this a lot with addiction and teens and like sometimes when people get sober, right. They're not, um, they're not, their developmental age is not matching their chronological age. So that could be an aspect where they've fallen through the holes, you know? So it's uh, like, okay. let's get you back, you know, let's get Got your whole self stepping forward. So Interesting. Yeah, I guess I was thinking of it as a more from the life experience standpoint, 
than physical neurodevelopment and stages like that. Because actually Dr. Crystal Collier out of Texas also just wrote a book um, called, what is it called? Oh my gosh, I need to remember the name of it. I'll have to remember it or we can put it in the resources, but it it talks about the neurodevelopmental stage and how to approach your kids when they're in each of those stages. Um, it's that. like a neuro awareness or something neuro. It's a really good name. If I can, it'll come back to my mind, but yeah. yeah. That sounds like a great resource because mm-hmm. I don't think we even know what that is, you know? Mm-hmm. Cool. And how to understand kind of where they're at during that stage and, and the, the kind of how to approach them and communicate better with them. Yeah. And I think that like the understanding with coming with the communication, coming with so many um, moments of awareness, right? It's like, I always say development is the greatest gap between like parent and child, because look how long it's been since parent has been there, literally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So of course they, the setup and the feeling is like, they don't get it, but it's like, wow, they really don't because they are, they have moved through so much of life, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Neuro whereabouts, I think that's it. <laughs> oh, amazing. So sweet. Well, anything else that people need to know about neurofeedback? Ah, I think we've covered a lot of it. You know, I think they need to look at it early on and we should all have access to it. That's my main main goal is for people to not to be afraid of it and so that we can make it more available to everyone. Yeah. And I'm, you know, we want to help providers. That's what we need more providers, coaches, parents who are willing to Mm -hmm. assist those families so that it is more accessible. We kind of need both. We need, we need the consumers to step up and say, Hey, let's, let's take a look at what's going on in in our brains as we're dealing with this. But we also need the the coaches and the providers to help make it Mm -hmm. available as well. So for example, somebody like me, who is a practitioner, like I could learn to be trained and facilitate it. Yes. Yeah. And we'd love to partner with people mm-hmm. like you that are already serving people anyways. I mean, why not have it as a tool? One of the tools in your tool belt. Oh. Yeah. I would love to, because I know how much it's impacted me. So well, nice. And that's mm-hmm. who's usually in the field right now are those who found it somehow, you know, fortunately they did and they, they believe in it. So Sure. We'd be happy to partner with you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And I hope everybody enjoyed learning more. And I hope everybody checks this out. Where can they find more about all of the information? SymmetryNeuroPT.com is our website. So I'm sure you'll put that link in there. SymmetryNeuroPT.com because it's Neuropathway Training is the company name. Just um, go onto the website. You can book a call, whether you are interested in for yourself or someone you know, or if you're interested in providing, just click the button and book a call with us. Um, or they can call 1-844-BRAIN-ON and reach one of my staff. Sweet. Thank you so much again for your time and look forward to connecting soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. You too. Take good care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.